We redid, uh, updated our prayer cards. I do them about once every 10 years or so. So fine. You know, they, the number of the family changes. So uh, you know what these are for, right? If you take one and you pray for us, that's great, and I'll appreciate it. But if you don't pray for us, leave 10 bucks up here when you take one. I uh, like that surrender. Now i got to turn this on, don't I? So you didn't catch me on that one. That's not recorded. Surrender, sacrifice, and send. You know, if you, if you analyze that and meditate on that, any order will do. We'll think about a missions trip. A missions trip, you're going because you're going to just check things out. You're going to go be a blessing to somebody else. So we send you. You sacrifice to get there because you buy your airline ticket or whatever, or your time, you invest in somebody else and something else in another ministry. And uh, like uh, Joel Dunbar, when he went on a missions trip, he surrendered to be a missionary. <laughs> and God, God can use that. Or, or any order there. Any order there, any order will do. Just as long as you've got all three ingredients. All three ingredients. It's kind of like biscuits. There's a certain order to make real good ones, but you can choke down some if the order wasn't right. You can choke them down. I've choked them down before. Until I, yeah, I got married and turned over the kitchen to my wife. I'd like with, uh, for you to open up your uh, Bibles in Luke chapter 10 again. <clears throat> You want to look at the uh, part here, sending. Sending. There's many ways of uh, sacrificing for missions. Because it is. It's above and beyond what is just natural and normal. You know, I, I look at being a, me being a church member and my tithe, to me, is just a moral obligation. It's not a sacrifice at all. Giving less than that uh, I'm not taking care of the things that need to be taken care of. I mean, we all use electricity. We all use the air conditioner. We all use the grounds here. We all use whatever's here. So let's all join together. You know, th the world does that. Yeah. You, you want to be a member of a golf club? You've got to pay your dues. But no one makes you pay your dues. You get to do it because you want to here. Yeah. Amen. So, you know, that, that part for me has always been a given. Except when I first got saved, I had been saved about two weeks. I went to my pastor at that time, and, and uh, just off the, the air base that I worked at in California, and I said, now, I, this tithing, I want to get involved in that, but I don't know how it works. How does it work? He said, well, you bring 10% and put it in the offering. I said, yeah, but if I'm giving it to God, how do I fill that out? You know, I thought, I'm going to write it to God? They're not going to be able to cash it because, you know, the secretary of the church shows up. Uh, sorry, uh, you've got to countersign that. <laughs> you can't countersign that. You're not God. You can't deposit it. So, uh, you know, for, for me, that, that was a given. I, I just figured it was, I get to do that because I'm, I'm saved and I'm a member of the church now. I get to. I get to do that. It's not heavy. It's not a burden. It's not heavy and it's not a burden. But then you start enjoying the Christian life even more. And you want to do more. So God says, okay, let me tell you what you do. Set up your budget. And the very first thing you, you take out of there, well, you've got to put something in first. So that's the first item. Your income. And then the first outgo, you put God first in everything. 
I, I personally, this is, I'm not preaching this, I'm not teaching this, I'm not recommending this, but I personally give in cash. I don't, do, I don't give with a check. And the reason I don't give, a check, give with a check is because I don't want the IRS knowing how much I gave to the church because I don't want them coming to, trying to take it from the church. If it's in cash, how do they know? All they know is what the balance of the church is. Well, you, you can't deduct it. I don't care if the government knows what I make. It, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I gave that up a long time ago. Now, I'm not, I'm just, God gave me the freedom to do that. Uh, it's not, oh, well, he's really spiritual because he does that. No, he just came up with something so he could say that to you and you'd go, wow. You know, kind of like when I was in my 20s and I rode a bull. Why did, why did you jump out of an airplane twice with a parachute? Why did you ride a bull? So I could tell my grandkids about it. That's the only, I didn't want to do it get on a bull, and the guy pulls up the rope that's tied around the bull's belly, a big, thick, coarse rope. They pull it up tight, and they wrap your hand in it where you can't pull your hand out of it. And you get up on his back, and then as they're opening the gate, they take a stick of high-voltage batteries and shock him on the backside. And the gate comes all the way open, and he thinks you did it. Why? So I could tell my grandkids. I, I almost didn't get to tell grandkids. But, you know, a lot of things you, you do because, well, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not do all you can do in the short time we have left? I mean, people are getting, you know, this global warming thing seems like it's getting out of hand. Well, if the rapture happened right now, global warming is really going to take effect. The sun's going to get, what, seven times hotter? It's not CO2. It's the sun. The sun is going to burn off our atmosphere, and men's tongues are going to swell in their mouth. Well, let's get some people ready to get out of here. Let's get some people ready to get out of here. Let's get involved. Let's, let's, let's live like we really believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. I, I really believe that. I believe your focus every day. I believe the something that needs to be reminded, something that needs to be remembered, something that needs to be before you like a carrot is the second coming of Christ. You look at all the crowns you can win and they're nothing until the second coming of Christ. That's when you get them. One of them is for loving His appearing. All you have to do is love His appearing. And you know, there's lots of Christians that will not get that crown. Oh, they'll be there. But they weren't serving the Lord at that time. Be, be vigilant. Love His appearing. That's all you got to do. The Apostle Paul said, I've already got that. He said, I've, I've, run, I've run my course. What an amazing thing for him to know that he started every church he's ever going to start. He's just waiting to die. He's done. He's sitting... He's sitting in that big room where they have a gangplank goes out to an airplane that's going to take off. He said, I'm just waiting for departure. <laughs> that's all he was doing. He was done. I, that's amazing to me because I don't think I'm going to get done. I think the Lord's going to come back before I get done. But be faithful. Because if you're faithful, you'll love His coming. You'll love His coming. Paul mentioned that. He mentioned that... Uh, uh, when uh, that you're our crown of rejoicing. 
Because you're going to be there with us. When, and I get to see your face. And I had the privilege of preaching the gospel to you. Imagine that. The crown of rejoicing is people. Souls. They're going to be there at the judgment seat of Christ. What a blessing. And there's more crowns too. There's more crowns too. But the message today isn't about crowns. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. After these things, the Lord appointed others, 70 also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. He appointed 70 and sent them out. Send another group of 70 out two by two. And he said, I'm coming. Tell them I'm coming. Tell them I'm coming. Well, you've got to remember that he's coming to tell them that he's coming. And, and you bet your doctor better be right. Because if you're a mid-trib person, you're not going to be ready. You will not be ready. You will lose crowns. You will lose crowns. And you won't have the joy of the Lord. Oh, the joy of the Lord. I get to die and... I, there's a pastor, an independent Baptist pastor in Bauru, Brazilian man, who's come over to my house and wanted to argue about the second coming of Christ with me. And I told him, I said, you don't believe in it. You don't believe in it at all. Because, you know, you'd have three and a half years worth of stuff uh, gathered up. I said, I said, let me ask you this. Do you believe that your eternal is secure? He said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm saved forever. I said, so you go into this tribulation, they offer the mark. What if you take the mark? Now you have a problem, a big problem. You have eternal security, but the Bible says if you take the mark, you're lost forever. How are you going to reconcile that? And how would you reconcile that just socially? Well, I can take the mark and I can continue eating because I have the indwelling Holy Spirit and I'm saved forever. So they can't do anything to me. I can't lose myself. And this poor other guy who hasn't even gotten saved yet, he sees your example of taking a mark, and he goes and takes it, and he goes to hell forever, or the lake of fire forever. You know, your, your doctrine, that's why I believe every day, every day, every day, you ought to wake up, number one, thank God for your salvation. Thank God for your salvation. Meditate a little bit on your salvation. Remember the day you're... I'll never get tired of hearing somebody give their testimony. I never get tired of hearing somebody preaching the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. That story ought to never get old because we're going to look on it for all of eternity. We're going to look on His wounds. And by the way, that indicates you'll have wounds, not scars. Oh, you'll have scars, things to healed over. But God will wound you in this life and he won't let them heal over. There'll, there'll be things that'll happen in this life that God gives you specially a wound in your spirit. He may wound you deeply just so you'll be real sensitive in that area the rest of your life. There's some areas in my life where God's wounded me. And I thank him for it. I don't even know why sometimes. Sometimes you've got to thank God because He doeth all things well. Sometimes you've got to thank God just because you know He does, but you don't know what it all means yet. You know, you sing that song, Further Along, We'll All Understand It. 
further along, we'll understand why. And you just live by faith like we're supposed to anyway. Well, sometime I'll, I'll know why, but right now by faith, thank you. I remember the day that our daughter Anna got burned. They hauled her to the hospital, and we're, I'd got the kids all together. I said, let's pray, I'm taking off. And we got on our knees, and right then and there, at the end of the prayer, I said, God, and I don't know why, but thank you. And God poured out his grace and began to pour it out. And began to pour it out. Here, in, in Luke chapter 10, you have some men being sent out. That's God's, God's uh, pattern. That's God's plan. That's the tool God wants to use. He wants to use men led of God, filled with the Spirit, with the, the message of the Word of God to reach people for Christ. And, and before he comes there, there's a time limit. You've got to get it done, he said, in every place that he would come. Now let's look at another example here, Matthew 21. Matthew 21. It, the, there's a lot of things with the, the second coming that people mess up because they don't rightly divide the word of truth. They confuse Israel with the church. They're, most of them are kingdom builders. Most of the people that are messed up on, they're trying to build a kingdom here on earth. The majority of people that are not premillennial and pre-tribulation rapture are, are building a kingdom here. The Catholic Church, the Muslims, all Protestant denominations, they're all king, trying to build a kingdom here. And they're all messed up on the second coming of Christ. And their people are not ready because they don't really believe it. How can you believe something that's not true? There's always doubt. There's always doubt. Because God gave every man a conscience to save his soul. I mean, if a man doesn't have the scripture, he's got a conscience. And God gave that as a gift to convict him, to tell him something's not right here. Something's not right here. So let's look at uh, Matthew 21. Look at with me at verse 28. But what think ye? Isn't that something Jesus is saying? I want you to do something that you normally don't do. Let's stop and think. You know, the Bible is for thinking people. We're not some dumb country bohunk, well, we might not all be, but I've been accused of that, that, that just believes the Bible because you have to. You know, I, I didn't believe the Bible because I had to. I didn't read the Bible till I went and bought my own. I never read the, Well, yeah, I did. We had a, a, a Bible that was in a corner, and it was a decoration in our house. And I opened it up once, and I read about four verses in Genesis, and I wrote, read the last three verses in the book of Revelation, figured, yeah, I got the gist of it, and put it back. That was my attitude toward the Scripture at that time. I, you know, I wasn't serious about anything. I was a teenager just living up you know, life and having a good time and uh, hoping that God would let me get old. I, my idea was I'll live like the devil when I get old, then I'll mature and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll change my ways. Well, praise God for things that happened in my life that, that changed all that. A motorcycle accident that woke me up. It's funny because it didn't just scare me. It didn't scare me. It made me sober, serious. Okay, you didn't die this time. If you did, there's nothing you can do about it. But don't you think you ought to get some more information before you do die to find out if there is something after this? 
Because I had so many different kinds of religion. I had a smorgasbord of religion in my heart and in my mind that I didn't know what was true. I knew there was a God. I thought if you were rational at all, you believe that there's one God. I, you know, I thank God for that, that that was taught to me. And it made sense. Because the Word of God is for thinking people, and it makes sense. The Bible makes sense. The Bible isn't something like the Greek gods. The Greek gods, the flaw of the Greek gods are they survive off of sucking the worship out of you. They depend on you worshiping them for them to even exist. Well, that's pretty pitiful. The Word of God doesn't. The Word of God's true whether you believe it or not. The grace of God's all-powerful whether you accept it or not, or resist it or not, or frustrate it or not. You cooperate with the grace of God, and you'll finish the will of God for your life. The Apostle Paul said, you know, hey, let me just tell you guys, I did more than any of the other, guy, uh, other apostles, but not me, not me. It was the grace of God that worked in me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 So we have here in Matthew two brothers, Two brothers. I want you to consider two brothers. Verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. Okay, go labor for me. Be sent. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now he's talking about them obeying for a kingdom, because he's talking to Jews. But that principle of obeying and being sent, let's borrow that from this text. Obeying and being sent. The first one just said, no, it's not agreeable to me. Why do I want to go out in the vineyard? Why do I want to go? I got a good here at home. My father's taking good care of me. I'm at home. I know he wants me to, but he's not going to kick me out of the house. I mean, I'm his son. He loves me very much. Why would, why would his father kick him out? He didn't threaten him. He, said, he didn't say, uh, uh, leave the home or go work for me. He wasn't making slave labor out of his son. He just told him, go, go labor for me today. Go out in my vineyard and work. Go out in my vineyard. You know, God doesn't ask you. He commands us to do everything. Go ye therefore. Why? Because it's, it's just reasonable. It's reasonable. It's not a, you know, we, we, we sit down to the table and we say, would you please pass the salt? If you sit at the table and you say, I want the salt. That appears rude. That appears rude, the way you ask for things at the table. But God just is flat out, you know, I want the salt. That's what you say in Brazil. I go back to Brazil and they look at me and they say, well, pastor, it looks like you got fat. You know what they're saying? Congratulations, you had enough money to buy food. That's what they're really saying. That's what, really what they're saying. So you sit at the table and you say, I would like the salt. But it irritated my mom. Her mom was so rude, would say, give me this and give me that. So we had to say, please, mother dear, may I have the salt, please? You know, that kind of thing. That's okay. The polite world is nice. It's a nicety. But when your father comes and says, go work for me today, 
He's not being rude. He's saying, I have a job that needs to be done and you can do it. Go do it. Now, whatever comes, he didn't tell you all the conditions about it. If you do it, I'll pay you this, or if you do it, you'll earn this, or I'll give you half of my kingdom if you complete the job. But you know, there's some things you can, you can learn about the father and his sons. And one of them was just lip service and said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I'll go do it. And didn't. He didn't realize there was consequences to not doing it. He didn't realize there was consequences. And the first he did, but he didn't want to. And then he repented. He realized that something was wrong with him. So he changed his heart and he changed his mind and he went ahead and went. Went ahead and went. Now let's go over to the book of Acts and I want to show you somebody here. I want to show you the normal Christian life. This is normal. This is how this is a good example right here. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings. That's, a, that's an interesting phrase there. Breathing out threatenings. That's expiration. And you got inspiration where the words breathe in. The Holy Spirit breathes in. The unholy spirit was breathing out threatenings in Saul. But he was breathing out threatenings. That's how you speak. You breathe out. You sing. You breathe out. It's interesting how that works in, in the spiritual world as well as physical. But that has nothing to do with that. That's a freebie. It costs nothing except time. What time are we done, Pastor? I think uh, when everybody starts nodding off, we'll, uh, I'll know it's time. All right. I, I'm not the kind of person that goes for a marathon and tries to impress you by how many notes I took. There's one time in Brazil I preached 15 minutes and the Holy Spirit said, shut it down. It was one of the best invitations we ever had. 15 minutes. And it wasn't the message. It was, it was just God had already worked in people's hearts before they got there. So Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now this is a guy that's under great conviction. This guy is under great conviction. He knows the Word of God, but so just intellectually. He's trying to understand it spiritually, but he's not spiritually born again yet. He's not alive spiritually to understand it in his spirit. Uh, he's zealous for God. He's, he's trying to love God, but doesn't even really know God. Verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth, and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I think he knew who it was. Or at least he was pretty much 75% sure and just had a little question to ask. He said, and he said, Who art thou? Comma, Lord, big L. <laughs> so he recognized him as the Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That's that cattle prod and the bull thinks you did it. <laughs> and, and that's what God was zapping 
Paul. And Paul thought all the Christians did it. So he's going around there with his horns and stomping and kicking and trying to ruin their life, make life difficult for them. Look at verse 6 now. And he trembling and astonished. Trembling? Why? You would too. If it got so bright around you, you didn't know if you were going to get burned up. Ground zero at a thermonuclear explosion, that much light. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're not talking about uh, whatever the Mohawk energy or whatever you got around here. Just got so bright at midday, and he fell off his horse, probably because he couldn't see. Because if you walk into a place and all of a sudden the lights go out, because that's what happened, he lost his sight because it was so bright. You want to get where you can feel something. There's always a sensation to grab a hold of something. Why do you feel like you're, because outer darkness is falling? It's a bottomless pit. That's the only thing babies are afraid of, falling. They'll grab a snake. They'll grab a, 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 a scorpion. They'll you know, pick up something. But that sensation of falling? I, there was a time I fell through a roof in Brazil. It was a roof about that high and broke my back. And it took about six or seven years where I could get up on a three-step ladder and change a light bulb. I would shake. But now I can go up on the roof and fix stuff now. I just I had to force myself. It's a scary thing. And Paul went to the ground. He wanted to find something solid to rest himself on. He went down to the ground. The light didn't have a physical force that knocked him down. Only in Hollywood. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So he just meets the Lord, calls him Lord. And then was, was the very first thing he says? A full surrender. He didn't say, Lord, I'd like to serve you, but I'd like to do it this way. I want to be a teacher and over there, and I want to teach how tent making. But just, I'll help other missionaries, but I'll, I'll teach tent making so they can make their way and, and so support themselves. He didn't make it, there was no conditions. It was an unconditional surrender. An unconditional surrender. What would thou have me to do? Whatever it is. Whatever it is. He wasn't bargaining for his salvation either. He was volunteering. He was volunteering to serve the Lord. That's, that's natural. Whatever you want me to if there's any, If you're holding anything back, anything back, you're not surrendered. You're not surrendered. There has to be no conditions whatsoever, and that's what happened here. So let's go to Romans 12. You know that passage, Romans 12. Verses 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. You think about the mercies of God. Before you were saved, you knew the mercy of God. I remember getting on a motorcycle with a friend of mine, and we, went, we drove all the way down to San Diego. It was 80 miles. And on the way back, it was a pounding tropical storm along the coast of California. 
And at, during those several few years in the 80s, on motorcycles, the uh, speedometer could only go up to 80 miles an hour by law for some stupid reason. So I didn't know how fast I was going <laughs> because the needle was bent on the pin at the end where it said 80. It was going beyond that. And my buddy's riding along like that, and we are, we're moving. Well, we've got to get up in the morning and go to work. And uh, we passed one of those chase cars of the California Highway Patrol in the middle of the storm. He just looked up and put his head back down. You know, kind of the idea of, uh, I'll get the dustpan and pick them up later. <laughs> that kind of idea. But we were just moving. I was just zooming along like that. God had mercy on me. You know what? I prayed. Lost man, I prayed. I said, God, if you'll let me uh, get back to base and I'll serve you. God said, I know you're a liar because <laughs> you're going to forget about it. You're not going to even thank me tomorrow. But I'm going to show you mercy because the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God is so merciful with us. He could, he could do all the work that we do for Him, Himself. He could, he could do it all himself. He doesn't need to let an angel serve him. He lets them. He, they're not forced to serve him. He just created them and said, okay, that's your, this is your function. Okay. Hey, this is great. You imagine, with our, our mentality, we can only pay attention to things for about 15 minutes at a time. When you do a vacation Bible school with children, recommend every 15 minutes change. Do something different. When you preach a missions conference, don't stand in the same place for 15 minutes. Move. Because the adults can only pay attention for 15, 15 minutes nowadays, too. Seriously, we, we've got to shift. We've got to move. Your back aches. Something happens. And, and just dealing with the reality of today. Dealing with the reality of today. So I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, all those mercies given to us, the mercy for everything, the, the everything in this life, the time in your life when you felt like that son that said, I'm not going, I'm not going to serve you. I'm not going to serve you. Today I'm staying in bed, I'm not going to church. You ever felt like that? If I, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, whoever did it, because you know, the next question is, lie much? <laughs> yeah, everybody's felt that way. And why didn't God kill you because you disobeyed him? He could. He could. He could exact death for any sin you ever committed in your life. What a God we have. How merciful is He? I laid me down and slept. I awaked. For thou sustained me. He kept my heart beating and kept me breathing while I was lost and while I'm saved. That's an amazing thing. Oh, yeah, well, you just keep on, it's, a, it's the, you know, your heart and all that, it's all, yeah, but who keeps the electrical pulse going? Hmm. So, by the mercy of God that you present your bodies, give it as a present. Clean it up, put a bow on it, and give it to God. You know when you give a present, you have no longer ownership of that thing? I remember when I was oh, probably five or six years old, my dad bought me a bicycle. 
And that bicycle was no longer his when he gave it to me, but he paid for it. And one day I forgot and left it out in the rain and the chain rusted. And you know, he just looked at it and walked away. It was strange because I thought he'd get chewed out, but it wasn't his. That's yours. You take care of it. You take care. You fix it now. You figure out how to get the rust off of it so you can ride it again and it doesn't grind away the chain. It's yours. That's yours. Well, the mercies of God, huh? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. You know, when we think of a sacrifice, we think of something that it ends right there. You put it on the altar and it's over. But that's not what a living sacrifice. You sacrifice your living, your life, your day-to-day, your breathing to God. A living sacrifice. That I will reject everything. You know, you offer a lamb as a sacrifice. That lamb's life ends. Its purpose becomes to be something burnt on the altar. Growing up in the fold and jumping and playing with the other lambs and all that, that's gone. The past is gone. It's no longer connected. What would have been the future is no longer theirs. Uh, I think that's a, a stumbling block for some missionaries. Not a, not a lot, but some. Is they think of what I could have had, or what I should have had, or what I... You know, if I would have stayed, I would have retired from the Marine Corps, and I could be working as an a, a electronic uh, engineer, or as a technical worker at McDonnell Douglas on the F-18s that I was trained at. So what? I would have been unhappy. Out of God's will for my life. Out of God's will for my life. And be not conformed to this world, because that will mess you up. You'll never a, a living sacrifice doesn't belong in this world anymore. He doesn't participate in this world anymore. He's not connected to this world anymore. He has other values. He has, why? Because he's looking to the second coming of Christ. Remember every day and be thankful for your salvation. But every day you ought to meditate. You ought to meditate every day. Every time you pray, mention something to remind yourself of the second coming. Thank God for the second coming. That's what we're looking forward to. That's our blessed hope. The blessed hope, that's something that's hoped for is something that you have anticipation it's going to happen. And it's like, you know, when is Christmas? This is June, sonny boy. But man, it's going to come. It seems like it's three years away when you're a kid. I don't know how it could get three years away, but it seems like it when you're a kid. And you're waiting for that event, whatever it is, that special vacation, going on a fishing trip with Dad, whatever it is. Well, that, that, that ought to be in our heart about the second coming of Christ. We get to look at Him. We'll look on His face. Go with me to Second uh, uh, Thessalonians. Here we go. Second Thessalonians and look at ver- uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Okay, this is, these are the facts that why we're beseeching you. These are events that are going to happen. So right now, we're pleading with you for your cause. 
under these two motives, we beseech you, brethren, that you be not soon shaken in mind. You won't get discouraged. You won't get sidetracked in a Christian life. If you keep your mind on, I'm going to look on Jesus' face real soon. That is so important. That is, the, that is what ought to motivate our life every day. I, I try to, every day, remember the second coming sometime during the day. Hopefully to begin with and end with. Hopefully every time that I pray. And I've been doing that for just about the last three years. Just really, because that ought to be what we're driving toward. That ought to be, that day is everything for us. For God, it's when His Son gets enthroned. But seeing the face of my Savior? What could be better than that? What could be better than that? If, you're, if, if that's your motivation, if that's your goal, if that's your blessed hope, which it is, whether you believe it or not, the Bible says it is, then that will motivate you to be the witness that you ought to be. That will motivate you to uh, be a living sacrifice. That will motivate you to be prepared and ready for His coming, to live holy, to confess sin to be reconciled unto God with everything that He brings up. As you grow, the sin, you know, it's out here socially, and you confess it and you get victory over it, but it gets down here where it's harder to find and dig out. And you'll keep on with that process, that painful process of God changing you. Because we go through changes, plural. And the final one is that change in 1 Corinthians 15 where we're free forever, in His presence forever. There's nothing better than that. There's not, that, that is encouraging. That's, no matter what you go through in this life, you get that at the end. There's nothing better than that. That you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor word, nor letter from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. That's right there is where that pastor messed up. See? Well, he said day of Christ. He thought day of Christ was the same as day as the Lord, of the Lord and the day of God, and it was all the same thing. And I asked him, I said, do you know what the day of Christ means? And he said, well, no. And I'm glad he didn't say what, because I hadn't studied it yet. <laughs> and it gave me some time to go study it and then bring it back to him. Uh, he sent a... Uh, uh, fellow that he, he had trained for the ministry, wasn't a pastor, but a uh, preacher boy, t came to Sunday school one day and walks up to me at the end of Sunday school, opens up his Bible and says, I'm going to show you something. And I thought, oh boy, here comes some guy going to challenge me in front of everybody. And he brought that text. He said, see, we're, we're going to meet Jesus Christ because of the first verse in here. It says, see the, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together? I said, so you say that's chronological, huh? I say it's motivational. Because the, com the coming of Lord Jesus Christ involves our gathering together. It's not two trips. He doesn't make two trips. It's all one. For example, I'm going to go to New York City. Well, let's say Pastor Dunbar is going to go. He goes to New York City. And he says, now I'm coming back on this day. So Harold Camping marks that day down and he's wrong. 
No, he says he's going to come back this day. But as, as he gets up this way, oh, say he, he drives for an hour and he pulls over and he calls and says, hey, there's another city just up ahead. Why don't we meet there? And so some of the folks go down there. And now he says, okay, I told you I'd come back, so we all come back together. Did he make two trips? No. You're going to meet him in the air. That doesn't mean oxygen. You know, th those, those painted pictures of Jesus just above the apartment buildings and the airplanes, those are really kind of cute looking, but that's not biblical. He's not seen. The first and second coming have a lot of the same things happen to them. In the first coming, how many people knew? Just a few shepherds. The small group. And then later on, he was revealed to the world. Same thing with the second coming. Same thing with the second coming. Very same thing. We ought to be looking for the second coming of Christ. That ought to motivate us. That, that is a great motivator for me. Well, that, that will check my surrender every day. That will, that will check my sacrificial giving and living every day. That will check if I'm going to go every day. Every day. Because I've got that reward and that warning ahead of me. That's very important. But let me ask you this. If you're here today and you're not ready for the second coming of Christ because you're not saved yet, if the gathering together with Him in the clouds happens today, you missed it. If you're not ready for it, you need to be ready for it. It could happen any time. It could happen any time. And if you miss it, all the rules change. All the rules change. So let me tell you this. I didn't preach an evangelistic message this morning. But if you're not ready for that second coming of Christ, you're a Christian, you're not ready for the second coming of Christ, well, come and, and just surrender today. God, there's something you spoke to my heart about, and I'm willing to work on it. Teach me how to work on it. Don't promise anything to God. You need His promises. He doesn't need yours. <laughs> but if you're lost today, if you're here and you're lost, you're not saved, you know if you're lost. Sometimes you argue inside of yourself. Well, I'm saved because I like coming to church, and, but I'm lost because I don't know for sure where I'm going when I die. Quit arguing with yourself and, and, and just give in to God. Let Him have His way with you. But Christians we got to have a blessed hope. And that ought to motivate us every day. We'll sacrifice, surrender, and send. What if, what if God called during this mission conference or after it at any time? Because God's not limited to work just during missions conferences. But what if He called a young man or an older man to go work? Do you know why I'm back on, on furlough? It's not to raise others more support. I'm not raising other support. I mean, if someone offers it, I'll take it. But that, that is not why I came back. I, I'm back here to recruit. But I'm not here to talk people into going to Brazil. I don't want somebody out of God's will in Brazil. It's not good for them. It's not good for their home church. It's not good for me. The idea is this. The, the, last night, the, the greatest need of missions is laborers. And we're all laborers. 
but you may be called to labor here. Everybody's called. Paul said, I'm called to be an apostle. He didn't say called to that place, that address. He was called to be an apostle. You're called to do something. And the Lord says, well, you're either the obedient child or you're the disobedient child. Which one do you want to be? And that's what the uh, invitation this morning is all about. What do you, which one do you want to be? If you're lost, come get saved. If there's a lack of surrender, if there's a sacrifice God's wanting you, He placed upon your heart, come and, and ask God for some, some clarity on that. Ask God to direct you on that. Ask God for, for, if you know what it is, just come surrender to do it. But then make it public. I thank God when God made it very clear that I was to be a quote-unquote foreign missionary, that I made it public. Because it would have been so easy to back out and no one would have known, except me and God. Miserable for all the rest of the life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before Thee and we thank You for the precious Word of God and pray that You would apply it and I pray that folks would feel the liberty and, if need be, the fear to if they don't make a decision. You know, this could be the last opportunity we have to make a decision. And, uh, Heavenly Father, we want to be ready for that blessed hope. That's what motivates us. That's what ought to be the, the uh, joy and rejoicing of our heart. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would have your will and your way in our lives. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.